When I think about cases, police cases, the ones that always stick out the most to me are the ones that go unsolved, also known as cold cases. Exactly. Like, what happens to these people? I think the big cold case is JonBenet, and everybody just wants to know, what happened? I think that's the biggest question with all these cold cases, is like, what the fuck happened? Exactly. So, this week, we're going to talk about a couple of cases that we don't know what the fuck happened, and if anybody has any information, now would be the time to come forward. Or, you know, any time in the last 30 years. <laughs> also, I know what happened to Jean Bonnet, so it's not that big of a fucking mystery. Wink, wink, the brother. Everybody knows that. Yeah, the brother accidentally killed her. because he Accidentally. Raged out. He, he was a kid. He raged the fuck out over his stupid pineapple that she ate. Which is so disgusting. What the fuck? Yeah, I, parents, don't feed your kids pineapple and milk. That feels like a bad idea. But anyways, he raged out because he's a little psycho. He killed her. The parents covered it up. End of story. End of story. And they, all, they both died of cancer because they felt so bad. Is that how cancer works? Well, yeah. Everything's connected. Bad energy, <laughs> right? Like guilt. I feel like guilt would give you cancer. Maybe. Or carcinogens, it could go either way. I mean, there's multiple reasons. <laughs> I'm Allison. And I'm Sarah. We're two girls at a campfire, and this week we are talking about cold cases. I'm so excited because the case I picked is definitely my, if we could have one case solved, it would be this one. Oh yeah, you alluded to this way back in the beginning, right? Yeah, I'm super excited, but awesome. I think it's your turn to go first, so let's hear your story. I think you're right. Okay. So this week I'm going to be talking about Monica Bennett and her brother Michael. They both disappeared in 1989. At the time, Monica was 15 and her brother was 13. And this is one of those cases that is really it's a little convoluted and they got multiple players so i'm gonna work on my storytelling abilities and stay with me yes i love storytelling <laughs> let's go all right so monica and michael bennett uh were were reported missing from brunswick georgia on june 21st 1989. they both shared the same mother but they did have separate dads so obviously Monica was the older one and then Michael's father was Robert George. That was his last name, Robert George. But when Michael was born, he actually, his dad, Robert, was still married to another woman. He was married to his first wife. So Deborah, the mother, did not give Michael the same last name. So he actually has a last name of Bennett even though because that was his mom's name yeah that was his mom's name thank you <laughs> so um so there it gets a little bit confusing as well but this man Robert George he um at the time that Michael was born he's still with his first wife she was really accepting of Michael and she welcomed him into their home and you know took care of him 
And a couple years later, when Robert ended up divorcing her and he married Deborah, they, um, Michael contain, continued to have a good relationship with Robert's ex-wife. Like they were close. They just had a good bond. That's awesome. I love it when adults, you know, act like fucking adults. Oh yeah. Like, right. Don't blame the kids. Not his fault. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Robert and Deborah were to, uh, they were married and then they would go on to have four more daughters together. Monica also had an older sister who did again, had a different father. Her name was Sheila and they were very close. They were pretty close in age from what I understand. Although I couldn't find an exact birth date for Sheila, but I'm guessing she was probably only a year or two older. And they, Sheila was still in high school. Like her and Monica went to high school together, but she was married and actually pregnant and she didn't live in the family home anymore. She lived with her in-laws. So the sisters didn't live together, but they saw each other in school every day. And it was there that Monica finally made this really disturbing confession to her sister, Sheila, that Robert her stepfather, he had been sexually abusing her and she didn't want to go home and she was scared. And so her sister, Sheila, being really concerned about this, obviously took it to the school counselor and they ended up calling the police. Obviously they're going to call the mom, the mom gets involved And when Deborah spoke to the police, she let them know that she pretty much thought that her daughter was lying. That's the fucking worst. I can't stand parents like that. Yeah, I, it's mind boggling to me that you wouldn't believe your child, but. So I I used to personal experience with that. (laughs) Yeah. Like when I used to work at the psych hospital, I worked with kids and we would have so many girls who were like, oh yeah, my stepdad or my mom's boyfriend, you know, sexually assaulted me. And my mom was like, shut up, stop talking about him like that. I mean, it's terrible. Yeah. Really, really upsetting. So, um, after, after Deborah said that Monica was lying, pretty much the authorities just dropped it. They didn't talk to anybody else and they didn't do a follow-up check in with the family at any time, which like, fuck the police. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but why wouldn't you, I just, I, and it's not just this particular family. It's just, why yeah. wouldn't you follow up? Why wouldn't you check back in with that? Cause you're so. overworked and underpaid and ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. And I, and I totally, and I do get that. And my fuck the police statement isn't against all police. It's just like, it's frustrating. Yeah. Why aren't we taking better care of these people? But you're right. Like there's too many extenuating circumstances. So, so while like Deborah's, you know, reaction might seem, you know, pretty unusual to some people. She reportedly had done this multiple times. Like people had talked to her about Robert in a, you know, multitude of of allegations and she really just ignored their concerns. She didn't want to hear it. One of the daughters had 
caught Robert trying to sneak into her room, like in the middle of the night at some point. And Deborah even walked in and found him molesting one of their daughters and didn't do anything about it. Um, and so Michael kind of being the only boy in this pretty, you know, prolific family of women, even he didn't really believe that his father was a perpetrator. Like they were, had a really pretty close relationship. Um, but then Michael actually saw him. He like walked in on him and then he realized what was going on. So at this point, Michael has seen the evidence for himself he goes to his mom and convinces Deborah, like, it's, we got to get out of here. Like, now's the time to leave. Like, you can't continue to let, you know, dad do these things. So Deborah and Robert separated, um, but neither, uh, neither Michael or Monica stayed with their respective parents. So, um, or with their mother, really, they... Monica went to go live with her biological father, which I'm not sure where that was, but I believe it was still in Georgia because she's still in the vicinity. And then Michael went to stay with Robert's first wife, the one that he had a good relationship with. And then the remaining children, the four that Deborah and Robert had together, they all went with the mom, Deborah. Uh, reportedly after the separation, Robert got himself a new apartment but he was also talking a lot about moving to Alabama. He really wanted to go to Alabama. And he, like, he didn't even furnish this apartment that he had, which I think is a very strange part of this case. Right? If you're planning to go to Alabama, like, why'd you even rent another apartment? Just fucking go. You had the perfect opportunity. Yeah, but I don't, I think there's just something weird about people that rent spaces and then don't furnish them. <laughs> I don't know. It's, there's like a creepy quality to that to me. Right? Like, what are you doing? Just sleeping on the floor and you're not cooking. You don't have dishes. Like, I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess it just creeps me out. Um, so on June 21st, 1989, Robert picked up Michael and Monica from their respective homes. So Monica's biological is staying with her biological dad. Michael's staying with Robert's first ex-wife. He goes and picks them both up and Michael didn't want to go. Like he made it very clear that he didn't want to go, but the fact that he's living with his father's ex-wife, like she didn't, she couldn't, she didn't really have any authority to tell him that he didn't have to go. So the alleged plan was that the siblings were supposed to help Robert like pack and get stuff ready to move. But again, remember, there's like pretty much nothing in this apartment. So that is also a weird, weird little fact there. <laughs> um, so he takes them to their apartment. Their aunt also lived in this apartment complex. And so she had made dinner and the, the two teens came by and had dinner with her at her home. And then around 8.30, Robert showed up and was like, okay, you guys gotta, you know, come help, come help me finish whatever. Uh, so Robert ends up talking with his sister for a little bit who tells her that he really misses Deborah and he really wants to get back together. And like, could she help him figure this out? Robert's sister um, gives in 
she calls Deborah and, you know, tells him that Robert's there and he has Monica and Michael and he really wants to talk to her. So Robert gets on the phone and he ends up speaking to uh, Deborah for a while. So at this point, like the kids are just kind of Robert and Mike or Michael and Monica are just kind of like hanging out while their dad's on the phone. That's weird too. Like he had to pick that night to be like, oh, let me try and re- reconcile with her and and getting his sister involved. Like, I don't know. That's super weird. Right? Like, I just like, okay. Um, so apparently like the, the Michael and Monica kind of like wandered off because they they were at a payphone. Let me just make this clear. They're, so they're outside. They're at a payphone. They weren't like in the aunt's apartment or something. That's even fucking weirder. Yeah. Right. But I don't know. It's the late eighties. I don't have any money. I don't know. <laughs> so the aunt said that she kind of saw the kids, you know, wandering not too far off, but just kind of at a, they like went up this hill And then when Robert was done on the phone, he hangs up and he walks after the kids. And that was the last time that anybody saw the children. And this is where things get really mysterious. Like nobody knows what happens to the three of them after they kind of disappeared after this phone call. Robert would tell multiple stories about what happened that evening. Uh, One story, he said that Michael and Monica ran out of his apartment and ran away. He didn't know where they were. Um, But he also made claims that he had to pick up some stuff. And so he left the kids at the apartment. And then when he came back, they weren't there. Conveniently, right? Oh, I left. And then, oh, shit, they're gone. Right. But then yet again, another story that he tells, he said that he drops them off at their mother's home and didn't know what, you know, didn't know what happened to them after he dropped them off. So this guy is like changing his story a lot. So we agree that he killed the kids, right? I mean, maybe probably. And then kind of as like a little side note on one of the police reports there, like this wasn't necessarily followed up on, but it does state that he had told one of the police officers that on the phone, like that when he was on the phone with Deborah, that he had told her that they were already missing. Deborah says that, or he told the cop that he told Deborah that. Robert, the dad, mm-hmm. told the cops that he had already told. He Deborah, told her, okay, yeah, that they were already missing, which is just like super wild because like the aunt is there, like she's saying that she saw them, but now it's being reported that he told the mom that they were missing. Like, just a lot of shit going on. Yeah, it's all over the place, right? So, and then in another version of the events of that night, one of the teen's younger sisters that lives with their mom, she said that Robert came to their mother's home and picked up the girls. Like, the, so he has four other daughters with Deborah. So he mm-hmm. picks them up and he's driving around the city pretty slowly, but that he never directly you know, said that he was looking for Michael or Monica. He didn't say, he didn't give any specification about what they were doing out in the middle of the night driving around. Um, Obviously they didn't find anything. So he ended up taking the girls back to this apartment that he lived in. And one of them noted that there were a bunch of trash bags near the front door. And he told them like, oh, don't touch those. You know, they have Michael and Monica's belongings in them. 
And then I, I, I guess the girls thought that this was noteworthy enough to bring up to the police. They also said that on the bed, there was no sheets. There was no comforter. You know, the apartment at this point was like just completely cleaned out. So even more, you know, sparse than it was before. And then just a couple days later, after all of this happens, Robert Carr mysteriously goes disappearing. His car? Yeah, he's, he reported that his car was stolen and they never found it. Mm. Right? Interesting. A likely story. So just a few weeks after Michael and Monica go missing, Deborah and Robert reconcile and they get back together and they pick up the remaining family members and they go to Alabama. Just pretending that two of their kids aren't missing. Yeah. Oh, well, let's just move. Sucks for them. Yeah, exactly. So there were all kinds of speculation about Robert's involvement, of course. Um, But then there were also some discussions about Robert's brother, their uncle, Uh, Monica and Michael's younger sisters. One of them had reached out and told Sheila. So remember, she's the older sister uh, that ended up reporting uh, Monica's abuse to the counselor. One of the younger sisters tells Sheila that he had been sexually, you know, that this uncle had been sexually abusing her pretty much on and off pretty much her whole life. And that occasionally he would live with the family. Um, I couldn't find any, anything that there was follow-up on that. So again, I'm not sure if they just dismissed it or didn't think that the girl was telling the truth. Um, but no, I couldn't find any follow-up about um, this uncle slash Robert's brother. I didn't even get a name. In 2017, they did an interview with the grandmother, so the the mom's mom, and she was asked if she thought that Michael and Monica would still be alive. And she said, in her heart, she wants to say yes, but something inside me tells me no. Somebody knows something, they're just not talking. During this time, Robert and Deborah, you know, are living in Alabama. They're having a really volatile marriage. There's lots of violence and abuse. And Deborah kind of was caught in that cycle. Like she would leave and then return and leave and then return. They, uh, I wasn't able to really find any follow-up information on Deborah and Robert. They just kind of, after this disappearance, after they moved, they just kind of fell off the radar. Although Michael and Monica were reported missing in 1989, the police didn't file their case as a missing persons. They filed it as runaways. And they, there really wasn't any search for them. They said that they left it there on their own accord um, and that this was just what teenagers did. So um, in the early 2000s, somebody ended up kind of pushing this case and police looked over the paperwork and decided that they would finally classify this as an endangered missing case and their names were entered into the government's missing person database in 2009. So 20, that was what, 20 years. Yeah. yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. 20 years after these kids go missing. I mean, they were misclassified as runaways. So of course, nobody's going to really be looking into it or asking very many questions or doing any kind of follow-up. At the time of her disappearance, Monica, weigh, uh, she was five feet, five inches tall. She weighed 130 pounds. 
She had dark brown and black hair and brown eyes. Both of her ears were pierced and her middle name is Renita. Um, at, the, at this time, she would be 47 years old and her brother Michael would be 45. I could not find any information about his height, weight, or middle name. But if uh, anybody might have any information about Monica and Michael Bennett, um, you can reach out to us on the website. You can contact us, um, or you can contact your local authorities. Wow. And so that is the missing case of Monica and Michael Bennett, who have never been found and never been seen again. And they're in his trunk of his car, wherever he dumped it. I mean, probably. It just it says it's such an interesting convoluted story because I feel like with when you get involved in these like family matters and you have people kind of in and out, I mean, it's there's a lot of different versions of the story. And I just imagine that it makes it hard to pin down exactly what has happened. But it also doesn't sound like the police did a whole lot of follow-up either. Like they weren't that concerned about it. Well, and I wonder if like when they reported the sexual assault, if the mom is like, oh, she's just a troublemaker, you know, she's mad that we're separated or that we got together, whatever. And then when they go missing, she's like, see, I told you she was just pissed off teenager. That's why they left. Right. Well, also the amount of abuse that's going on. I mean, you know, obviously there was sexual abuse. Who's not to say that there wasn't, you know, physical or mental abuse towards the mother. Exactly. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of circumstances that are going on when a woman is in an abused relationship and chooses to stay. Uh, but I think that it's really important to highlight these cases. Um, both Michael and Monica Bennett were uh, people of color and that can play a part, unfortunately. You know, we, we want to bring some attention to these cases of people that maybe don't get as much attention as they should. Exactly. All right. Well, I know you were super excited about your story. I can't wait to hear about it. All right. I'm excited. So I will be talking about Maitrice Richardson, and she's the daughter of Latisse Sutton and Michael Richardson, and she's raised by her mom and her, and her stepfather, Larry Sutton, in Covina, California. She had just got her Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology in 2008 from Cal State Fullerton after she had graduated from South Hills High School in West Covina, California. My Trace was a lesbian and she was open about it. And at the time of her death, she had been dating her girlfriend, Tessa Moon, for about two years. She was also, um, she had competed as like a beauty pageant contestant. She had an awesome, she worked as an intern for a forensic psychologist, which I thought was super awesome. And then she also worked part-time as a dancer at a um, LGBTQT uh, strip club. So she had different kind of jobs and different interests and, you know, she had a girlfriend and everything seemed to be going good. Yeah. Seems like pretty pretty awesome, interesting life she's yeah, leading. exactly. So on the evening of September 16th, 2009, Richardson entered the parking lot of Jeffrey's restaurant in Malibu. Due to what staff and patrons of the restaurant describe as like bizarre behavior, and then she is unable to pay her $89 bill, they call the LA County Sheriff's Department from the Malibu Lost Hills Station. So they're called to come out and kind of more or less do a welfare check, like make sure she's okay. 
try to figure out why she's acting strangely and figure out why she went and ordered all this food and then she doesn't have money to pay for dinner. Yeah. And she's, she was there by herself. Yes. She wasn't with her girlfriend. Okay. As soon as the officers get there, they do like a field sobriety test and they determine that she's not drunk and she's not, you know, under the influence of drugs, but she's arrested on the charge of, and also I don't know how this is a fucking actual charge, suspicion of not paying for her meal. And then (laughs) they actually arrest you for that shit. Well, and also, so they told, they said she wasn't under the influence of any substance, but she did have um, possession of less than an ounce of weed. Oh yeah. Those stoners. Yes. Yeah. In 2009, that was before, I'm pretty sure before we made it to anything less than an ounce, nobody cares about. So, (laughs) so according to the arresting officers, when they arrested her, they took her phone, her purse, and her money and they put it in her car and then her car was towed to a tow yard up the pacific coast highway it's funny to me that they mention money because i'm like well she didn't have money for dinner so what she had like five bucks but then why would you mention oh yeah you know what i mean like it's it's super weird to me all of this already yeah yeah that is interesting like she obviously had some money yeah so, and, and like I said, so they thought it would be a good idea to take her phone, her purse, whatever money she had, put it in her car and then take her car to the tow yard. How was she supposed to get her car out? Cause you need ID and you need a credit card, which you locked in the car. Yeah. That's a, that's really interesting. Cause why wouldn't they just take that? I mean, I've been arrested before and they just take it with you. Yes. That's just your personal property. And then when they let you go, they give it to you. Yeah. They take her up to the Malibu Lost Hills Sheriff Station, which is about 10 miles up Malibu County. Malibu Canyon. Sorry. So this is like kind of in the middle of nowhere. There's not a whole lot of stuff around. Although her mom wasn't, somehow her mom and the cops got together and they're talking. And so the mom told the people, uh, the officers at the station that she was very concerned about her daughter's mental health. And the station promised her that she would not be released until the following morning. They're full of shit. She gets released at 1228 AM without her purse, without her money, without her credit cards, without her cell phone. Wait, 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 wait. So the police told the mother that she was going to be out in the morning. Yeah, like eight in the morning, like at a normal fucking time. Yes. And then they release her in the middle of the night with no identification. Wow. Okay. This isn't like downtown LA. Like this is up in Malibu Canyon. There's not fucking anything there at all. There's not. I mean, I've driven through Malibu Canyon and there's a lot of really big houses. But that's about it. Exactly. Okay. Steve Whitmore, he's the spokesperson for the LA County Sheriff's Department. He said that she was released from jail because she exhibited no signs of mental illness or intoxication. She was fine. She's an adult. They said they told her that she could wait in the lobby, but she declined. Wait in the lobby for eight hours? Exactly. And it's not like, and they had talked to her mom. So it wasn't like they were like, oh, here, wait in the lobby. We'll call your mom to come get you. They were kind of like, okay, bye. We don't want you hanging out. Well, yeah, but even still, like, they didn't give her a phone call? This is so strange. Yeah. They were just like, oh, okay. I know we told your mom an hour ago we weren't going to let you go, but we're going to let you go. Bye. All right. Despite the fact that they had detained her specifically because she had been acting strange, 
apparently like she had been trying to talk to like other patrons at the restaurant and the valet about like weird shit they didn't give her a psyche valve or even held her until she could get one which is actually something that they do all the time yeah so the watch commander at the station could have been like hey we're gonna hold her until we can get her psyche valve or they could have called somebody out to do it at midnight and they chose to do neither wow okay wait i reach i retract my my uh my previous You're unfuck the police. Right, unfuck the poli- we're going back to fuck them. We're back to fuck the police. <laughs> yeah. We're going to fast forward to 6.30 a.m. And she's seen in the backyard of Bill Smith, who used to be a KTLA news anchor. And he opened his window and asked her if she was okay. He told her, she told him that she was just resting. And he says that he calls the cops. Yeah, well, yeah. That's it. Did the cops ever show up? We don't know. Oh. That's it. That's it. Okay. So January 9th, 2010, four months after she's reported missing, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department conducted one of the largest scale searches in the history of the department. Okay. Four fucking months later. Yeah. Like how, in- how intense is this fucking thing going to be? Like, what are you looking for after four months? So they had over 300 volunteers who were trained in search and rescue, and they did a 18-mile square search in the area of Malibu Canyon. And the search included both air and ground searches. They're looking at creeks, trails, ridges. They didn't find her. And like I said, this is four months later. So like, are we on like a body recovery search? Are we just looking for her remains? Yeah. Did they ever specify? No. Okay. So then Maurice Dubois, who he was the father of a a teen named Amber Dubois, and she had been killed in Escondido. He helped their family in a two-day search on June 5th and June 6th in the area where they had last seen her. So behind that guy's house, right? That was up in Monte Nido. And so since his daughter had been killed, like he, you know, felt like he needed to get involved with them. Yeah. So on that search, they had over a hundred private citizen volunteers although they didn't find her again they found some weird so it was down in like a culvert in the canyon and there was some like tagging on the wall and it was like racially and kind of sexually offensive Mm -hmm. so the graffiti was fresh and there was paint cans and brushes and stuff just sitting there so that was kind of weird Wait, there were paint cans? That is super weird because graffiti artists don't usually work in paint like that unless they're going to hang out for a while. I'm like, (laughs) you're not using spray paint. You're using like legit paint and brushes and then you just dipped and left it all there. Yeah, okay. That is strange. So the creek bed in Malibu, California, where Richardson's naked mummified remains were eventually discovered is adjacent to a 21-acre ranch that's known for producing pornography. Oh. So I don't know if it's, like, like a legit house where they make sex films or if we're talking, like, weird underground kitty porn. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They don't really get into it, but it is super secluded. It's super secluded, and it has direct access (laughs) to the creek bed. It's very hard to say, Jesus. (laughs) So 
But then when they find her body, the detectives on the case remove it against the order of the corner. Yeah. Instead of waiting for the corner to come pick up the body, they're like, nah, we got you. And we'll just, I don't know, throw in the fucking trunk of your police car. What? I don't know. That doesn't even make any fucking sense. I know. And then supposedly nearby residents heard screams back a few nights after she disappeared. But didn't do anything about it. Yeah. And then also her death was, it was deemed to not be a homicide. There was no foul play, they say. Oh, she just murdered herself and wrapped herself up and took herself to the fucking ditch? Exactly. Then the L.A. Sheriff's Department, they had exclusive access to her remains for six hours. What the fuck? And they moved the body without the coroner coming to gather evidence that could help determine, like, time of death and cause of death and location of death like maybe she wasn't killed there maybe she was dumped there but them like taking that body for six hours fucked any of that information being from being uh, yeah what's up malibu <laughs> like what is up also she's a woman of color so malibu doesn't give two fucks wow. about her on the cover of People Magazine in November 2009, they had Matrice's picture on it. Her disappearance was covered in an episode of Disappeared on the ID channel. And the episode's called Lost in the Dark. And it first aired on November 19th, 2012. And I didn't go watch that. I forgot. I'm going to try and watch it because that sounds interesting. Remind me again, like, the time frame between when she went missing and when they found the body. Like, how long was that? So she disappeared September 16th, 2009. It took them four months before they did that first search. So it's probably, um, that's weird. I don't have an exact time when they found her body. It's been like six months. Okay. Yeah. Her family has filed several lawsuits against the LA County Sheriff's Department. One for releasing her from jail, even though as the police claim that she was experiencing a severe bipolar disorder episode at the time in 2011 her parents who had sued separately were each awarded four hundred and fifty thousand dollars wow then her girlfriend tessa moon she says that she didn't have any mental illness and she'd been out with her for two years yeah i was gonna ask where the girlfriend came into play here because she should have some information She says, no, she didn't have mental health issues at all. So the Richardson family also asks the California Attorney General's office to go through and review the way the sheriff's office handled the case, right? Because it was pretty bullshit. Mm -hmm. In November 2015, after reviewing 500 pages of documents, the Office of California, then the Attorney General Kamala Harris, (laughs) <laughs> replied that, right I found that kind of interesting uh okay sorry so she was attorney general of california she says that it had not found any grounds for criminal charges against the sheriff or his deputies they also found no evidence that the sheriff's office had mishandled her case as the parents had you know had filed against them but then so that was november 2015 January 2016, the Attorney General's office reversed itself and announced that it was now going to begin a criminal investigation of the case and the way it was handled. Oh, gee, thanks a lot. 
like what happened in those two months that you were like oh shit just kidding yeah she got fucking nominated for vice president and figured she had to do something oh but then don't get excited so that's january (laughs) december 2016 the California Attorney General's office concluded that there was insufficient evidence to support criminal prosecution of anyone involved in the handling of the case. I'm sorry, say that again? So November, they said, oh no, we don't need to investigate. January, they said, just kidding. We should go investigate the way this case was handled. Then December, almost a year later, they conclude that there was insufficient evidence to support criminal prosecution of anyone involved in the handling of the case. They say that the sheriff did what he was supposed to do. The deputies did what they had to do. There's no reason to look and try and prosecute any of them. Oh my God. How is that even possible? I don't know. The amount of shit that they fucked up is like ridiculous. So like it could be a cover up. The, like, protocol that they violated, like, without calling in that site consult. They withheld evidence from having her body for six fucking hours. The neglect, the incompetence. I mean, I think you're right. All of that. Absolutely all of that. But I think, do you really need any bigger piece of information other than the police fucking moved the body when they were specifically told not to? Exactly. Like that is never a thing that you do. Like that's it. That should be the, that like that in and of itself that should alone. be the only thing that you need to do to prosecute somebody. Good Lord. Yeah. So September 2019 had been 10 years since her disappearance and death. And this is a quote from an article I read. So they had a private event and it was hosted by a friend of the Richardson family. And at this event, Sheriff Alex Villanueva said he would like to get to the bottom of it and that he wants to assess this entire case. And so him saying that, you know, starts like a little a news flurry and speculation to try and find out, you know, see if they're going to reopen it or if it had gone in as a cold case and if it was going to be, you know, reopened or reassigned. Mm-hmm. Although according to the LA Sheriff's Department spokesperson, the case had never been closed or deemed cold. It was never a cold case. Well, it's been 10 years and you haven't done shit. So I'm sorry. That's like the definition of a cold case, right? <laughs> I didn't realize there was a lukewarm case. right you're either investigating it or you're fucking not and you haven't investigated from day fucking one so all right so what's your hypothesis well hold on oh we're not there yet okay no yeah there's more good lord the sheriff does say that there has been no new leads or changes to the status of the case and it has not been reassigned and they have no plans to issue their own statement besides what he said at that party wow so it's not cold but we're not investigating it yeah they're just waiting what are are they waiting they're waiting for the hoopla to die die down they don't want people talking about this yeah and so they also had a memorial for her and the sheriff is not supposed to speak at the event but he like goes and he says he wants to make sure that like the family is heard So, like, he's, like, saying these things, but at the same time, not fucking doing anything about it. I found a super interesting article that just has reasons why we should be more interested in this case. Like, things that really are so fucked up. So, one of them is, why wasn't she sent for a psyche valve? 
the reason you arrested her was because of her odd behavior. Yeah. Why was the unedited jail cell video never given to her family or the attorneys? Oh. Oh, did they get an edited version? Yeah. So on the edited video, a deputy is seen leaving the building shortly after Richardson. So nobody's interviewed him. Did he see and talk to her? What happened? Why did he go outside? Because like I said, they're, they're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Why did the then captain, Tom Martin, withhold the video from the family and make claims that it didn't exist when it was in his fucking desk drawer for several months? What the fuck? Why did the deputy tell Richardson's mother that she should delay filing a missing missing persons report despite her obvious sense of worry? Why did LA Sheriff's Department wait so long to issue an alert for people to be on the lookout for her? Why did they wait four fucking months before they set up a search? Yeah. I mean, literally every aspect of this case. Yeah. Why, after ex-anchorman say that he saw a woman that fit her description, how long did deputies take to respond to that? Did they even show up? Why did LA Sheriff's Department keep the corner away from her body? Why did detectives claim that her remains were intact, but then she actually was missing different bones? And also they put her remains in a helicopter. What? Instead of instead of just waiting for the coroner's van or whatever. But where did where did they where did they take the body? Uh to like the sheriff's department for like six hours and then the coroner came and got them. So they airlifted a body to the sheriff's department? That is so strange. Yeah. And as far as I found, we don't have cause of death. It's just, oh, it wasn't homicide. Or there's no indication that it was homicide. How'd she end up in that river or the canyon so far from where she started? Why the fuck would you ever let a woman out at one in the morning without a phone or a purse or a ride? How are you going to tell me that it's not, that there's no suspicion of homicide? Like she just fucking body dumped herself? That that literally doesn't make any sense. Well, and by the time they found her body, it had been exposed to the elements or whatever for so long that yeah it was like dried up and crusty because you waited four fucking months before you had a fucking search party for her wow everything about this story just makes me so fucking angry uh yeah as well it should yeah it's ridiculous but yeah that's the disappearance and death of Mitrice Richardson. So what so what do you think happened? I don't know. I'm sure somebody found her on the side of the road somewhere and picked her up. Or maybe it was that sheriff's deputy that left because the sheriffs did a fucking bang up job of covering up everything else. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say that I, my speculation is that it was more than one person involved in that department. Well, and then it's weird that they saw her at 6:30 in the morning. So, like, was she somewhere nearby and escaped? And then they recaught her? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. That's so weird. Or was that, we all know fucking eyewitness testimony is bullshit. I mean, yeah. Did he see a black woman in his backyard? I don't know. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of... I don't know how many black women are just wandering around Malibu Canyon, though. Like, Exactly. But that's the thing. Like, we nobody really talked to that guy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Did the cops ever show up? Well, and I feel like, yeah, like, somebody should have been talking to him, especially if he used to be a news anchor. I mean, I feel like... Slightly more credible. You know, at least, yeah. 
I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah, I. That's crazy. Yeah. So, did was there ever any follow up, like with the with the girlfriend, like? No, and like I said, that ten year like memorial was in 2019. So it's been another three years and just nothing. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, <clears throat> to all of our uh, double digit listeners, <laughs> if you know anything about this case, reach out. And we all know LA Sheriff's Department sucks. Also PD too. So, well, the bottom line is, is that I think that there is a pretty deep held belief that had this been a white woman, a blonde hair, blue eyed white woman, that this case would have looked completely different or it may never even have gotten to this point. Exactly. And that's the thing too. um, This is a very good example of why we need to defund the police. If she's having a mental break, she doesn't need a fucking white male cop to come and get in her face. She needs someone with psychology training who can help de-escalate and or get her the freaking help that she actually needs but there's also just like I just feel like who I mean maybe this case was like fucked from the start like maybe she wasn't acting out at the restaurant maybe she did have the money to pay for her meal like maybe just some racist assholes like escalated this in a weird way and it was they were at you know what I mean they were at more of like a bougie upscale restaurant I mean and yeah like I'm just confused about like well and that's the problem too I mean honestly everything right (laughs) but too much we just jumped to call the cops oh there's this black lady here by herself god knows she shouldn't be here let's call the cops they have her come back and taken away and like the charge it wasn't oh on unable to pay her meal it was suspicion of not being able to pay for her meal. Like, did she have the yeah, money or did she not? Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, by now we have seen, you know, multiple examples of how, especially people of color when talking to the police are just shut the fuck down. Like they're not allowed to talk. They're not allowed to, to explain. Nobody's listening. Exactly. And then, oh, she had weed on her, so she's a druggie. Let's go. Oh, yowza. Well, I really hope that this does get solved one day. Right? Just to, it's just crazy. I just want to know what happened. I mean, she she's smart and educated and I don't know. And like her girlfriend said, she didn't have mental health issues. What was really going on? Yeah. And that, And that's really the question. What is really going on? Wow. That's a good one. That is a good one. As far as, you know, as good as a cold case can be. Because <laughs> from the jump, you're like, well, wait, what happened at the restaurant for real? And then it just yeah. gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Might have to make this one a personal mission to figure out. Oh, that's, yeah. I bet I could find some crazy shit down some like Reddit rabbit hole. I'm sure. Like, I just, I was um, thinking about Michelle McNamara the other night again, and I was like, <laughs> she's it's awesome. just so sad that, you know, that she's not with us anymore because she had these amazing, just like internet sleuth capability. I mean, she was just a, an incredible investigator and, and list. Yeah. Wow. All right. Crazy stories this week. Yeah, they were. What, what is up for next week? Well, Since it's October and spooky season, 
We are going to be doing Urban Legends. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. I'm so excited, too. <laughs> Again, every week we're like, duh, we picked the topic. Of course, we're excited. But no, this is going to be a good one. It's always exciting, though, when we actually get to do the topic, though. So it is. Okay. Well, next week, Urban Legends. Can't wait for it. And uh, I guess we will see, see you around, around the campfire. campfire. All right. So, uh, <laughs> Damn it. I almost said Colts. I don't know why I almost said Colts. <laughs> what are we doing? Oh my God. I have, you can find um, us online at twogirlsinacampfire.com. <laughs> We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can check out our website. Rate, review, subscribe. And we'll see you next week. See we'll you see you around the campfire. campfire. <laughs>